So we've all heard the stories of the plagues, I'm sure. If you're a Christian or not, they are quite, quite well known. And they are incredible events, aren't they? God's people are captive in Israel. They're slaves. And through these great acts of God, Pharaoh relents and lets them go. God's people are saved. And often, the key phrase that people think about when they think about the plagues and the exodus is something that we read today, let my people go. Or, put it another way, send my people out. So often, I think, the main idea that we have about the plagues is this idea of Israel getting saved. And that is true. Um, That is what happens. But the question is, is that all that it is about? Is that even the main thing that the plagues are about? Uh, I want us to see today from God's word that these plagues are about so much more than that, actually. They are a revelation about who the living God is and what he is like. Now, we're coming into this somewhat in the middle uh, with the, the, the passage that we read. So maybe it's useful to just recap and set some context around it. So about 400 years or so, Israel has been living in Egypt, first as Pharaoh's guests after Joseph became second in command of Egypt, and then later on as slaves. So a new king had come into power. He didn't know Joseph, or he didn't have a personal relationship with Joseph, and the people had become a great multitude, so they were put to work. Now, God had promised Abraham that his descendants would be God's people, but they would only go to the promised land, the land that God had promised them, after 400 years in exile, in slavery. And now God is starting to fulfill that promise. The time has come, and he remembers his covenant with Abraham. Now, this isn't forgotten, remembering as in, oh, I had forgotten, and then suddenly one day God remembered about it. It is fulfilling his plans and his purposes and his promises at the right time. Um, And God has now called Moses to be his servant, his messenger, and the leader of God's people, and he sent him to confront Pharaoh and tell him this message from God, let my people go. Um, But I trust this is not a plot spoiler. Uh, for you. Up to now, Pharaoh has refused to let them go. This is the seventh plague. In the first six plagues, we've had water turned into blood, frogs, uh, gnats, flies coming, the livestock dying, and boils and sores coming onto the people. So let's pause there for a moment. Just realize how complete it is. Uh, It is the land that gets touched by it, the water, the air. It is the economy that gets decimated in, in, in ways and afflicted. It is people's bodies. It is animals, plants, humans. Nothing is really left untouched uh, up to now. Uh, and now, after the hail, we'll come to locusts and darkness and then the death of the firstborn sons. Um, but with the hail the last cycle of plagues really start. God has now shown his power with the other plagues over um, 
over land and water, and we're turning to the heavenly realms. The, this plague sequence, the plague sequence at all, is now is now reaching a climax almost. It is it is it is progressing to the final resolution uh, of God's plans. But right up to the end, Pharaoh remains arrogant. So that's that's the big picture. That's where we are now. Um, let's start by looking at the text in terms of who the main characters are. Um, who is this about? Well, right off the bat, in verse 13, God speaks. God speaks to Moses. The camera zooms right in on God. He is the one speaking. He tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and give him a message from God. He is the Lord. He raised Pharaoh up to be used by God. God says he will show him his power and his name will be proclaimed in all the earth. He will be worshipped and praised as a result. And Pharaoh will know that there is no one like the Lord in all the earth. And then when the plague comes in verse 22 and 23, God speaks again to Moses. And he tells Moses to stretch out his hand to the sky. And Moses does it. And the plague comes over Egypt. But God told Moses to do that. Uh, who speaks next? Well, down in verse 27, all the way down in verse 27, Pharaoh speaks. Uh, Pharaoh tells Moses and Aaron that this time he has sinned, and he asks that they pray to the Lord so it will stop and they can go. He's the leader of Egypt. He is the one who speaks to Moses, God's representative. So Pharaoh is another main character in this text. Uh, it is uh, the focus if we look at who speaks, who the, the, the author of Exodus focuses on, uh, falls squarely on God and Pharaoh. Moses speaks to, he speaks to Pharaoh, and he says he'll pray to the Lord, he will ask the Lord to relent, and even if he doesn't believe that Pharaoh has truly repented. So Moses gets some focus too. Um, but notice what happens when Moses prays and the helps, immediately in verses 33, 34, 35, it goes back to Pharaoh and the Lord. Pharaoh sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. Pharaoh's heart was hard, just as the Lord had said. Now, in between, we read about Pharaoh's officials uh, and the Israelites, but not really much. They don't speak. Some of Pharaoh's officials listen to God. Some ignore him. Uh, together with Pharaoh. So we don't even hear really anything about what the Israelites did. They are only referred to in passing in a reference to the land um, that they lived in that was spared from the hail. So when we realize who the focus is on in this passage, I think we start to get to a position where we're able to better understand what is going on. And what God is doing. Uh, if you have your Bibles open still, um, if you can turn to the beginning of chapter 5, um, but I'll read it as well. This is the first time that uh, Moses and Aaron get to, to Pharaoh and they tell him the message from God, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. And Pharaoh says this, he says, who is the Lord 
that I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Um, and I think in the plagues and in this plague specifically we see that God is answering that question, that challenge by Pharaoh. If you look in verse 14 of chapter 9 again, he says, I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so you may know there is no one like me in all the earth. These plagues are meant to reveal to us something of who God is. It's meant to show Pharaoh and the Egyptians and Israel and even us today who is this living God. In verse 16, God says, I have raised you up so that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That's why Pharaoh is Pharaoh. Um, Because God raised him up to be Pharaoh so that we can have this this contest um, between the living God and, and Pharaoh. So it's not really in the first instance about Israel or Moses or Pharaoh's officials. It is a battle between Yahweh, the Lord God, the creator God, the sovereign God who is the creator of all, and Pharaoh who is an idol, a false god. Now Egypt had all kinds of gods, gods of the Nile and animals and the sun. They worshipped a great many things. Um, and Pharaoh was at the head of that, that pantheon, that range of gods that they were serving. Um, so he was the, he's the representative of the nation, of the gods they were worshipping, uh, of the symbol, the great symbol of, of worldly power at the time, Egypt, the great nation Egypt, the first nation state really. Uh, and that is what we that is what we're dealing with. So the Lord is saying, "I'm doing these things to show you my power, to show that I'm superior over all of these gods, to show you that I'm the Creator God who has total and complete power and control over all of creation. That you are serving worthless gods, and that you are not God. He's doing it so that His name will be proclaimed in all the earth, that God will be praised and worshipped." is what he is doing. That is the sense we're getting here. That he will be known for who he is. Uh, now we must remember in the Bible, in the, in the, in the times of, of the Bible, names had much more meaning than these days. Um, it seems that everybody, or well, a lot of people, make up names these days for their children because they like the sound. Um, but in the Bible, names meant something and they tell us about someone's character or background or family to know someone's name is to know something important about them now if that is the case um, and God wants his name to be proclaimed and worshipped in all the earth what is it that he is revealing to Pharaoh and to Egypt and to Israel and to us in this passage about himself that he wants to be proclaimed when his name is proclaimed over all the earth. I think firstly we see that God is sovereign. 
God is in control, full control over all things, and no one can stop him from achieving his purposes. Uh, Why do I say that? Uh, Remember that God initiates all of this. Uh, He sends Moses to deliver his word to Pharaoh. Uh, After he had foretold all of this more than 400 years ago, uh, he says to Pharaoh, uh, who is seen as a god of that country, that Pharaoh may know there is no one like the true God. Um, He tells Pharaoh that he raised him up to be the powerful Pharaoh um, and that he only exists in order for God to show his power and that his name will be proclaimed in all the earth. In the first plagues, Pharaoh's magicians and advisors tried to match what God did. Uh, But they couldn't stop the plagues. But ironically, they could make it worse. They could make some of the water also turn into blood. They could create some more frogs. Um, But they couldn't stop God from afflicting the land. And in this plague, they're not even mentioned anymore. They're irrelevant. This is the true God, and their tricks are nothing compared to his power. God is mocking their idols. Uh, they had a god called Nut, the female god of the sky, uh, and Shu, the supporter of the heavens, who held up the sky, and a god called Tefnut, the goddess of moisture. And in this plague of hail, all of them are exposed for the fakes they are. Uh, god promises a hailstorm. He says, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, hail was pretty rare in Egypt, I understand. Um, And here, all the land will be destroyed. And to emphasize it is, we're here in verse 25, throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. So think about it. God has not just made sure this was the worst hailstorm. He has made sure there was never a hailstorm before that that was worse. And he says the exact time at which this hailstorm will come. He says at this time tomorrow this hailstorm will come. God controls history and the weather to make sure his plans and his purposes come true in this case. Uh, When Pharaoh finalizes what's happening, he pleads with Moses. He says, pray to the Lord, for we've had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Pharaoh can't stop the hail. This powerful king of Egypt, the god of gods of Egypt, the one his people thought was a god, only God can. Um, Pharaoh hardens his heart as God promised But we know that his power is no match for the living God himself. God is sovereign over everyone and everything. Now, if that's all we see here, that would be a pretty terrifying picture. Uh, And it is. God is serious about sin. God is serious about our rebellion against him. 
Um, he's the God who is, who, is, who is able to deal with our sin and our rebellion in a decisive way and in a terrible way. Uh, we should fear God's wrath, but if that's all we learn about God here, there's very little hope in that because we all rebel against God in our own ways uh, every day, some, some small, some large. But thankfully, I think we see more than that about who God is in this passage. I mentioned before this is the seventh plague. God has given six chances before to Pharaoh and his officials to repent. Um, did he have to do that? No. He said in, in this passage, he said, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. He could have freed Israel immediately, but he wants his name to be proclaimed in all the earth. God is patient and merciful. Uh, and despite Pharaoh's arrogance, he warns Pharaoh what is going to come in this plague. He says, warn your people. No person or animal has to die. And yet many of them still ignored God's warning, uh, despite what they've seen in the first plagues. Um, God is patient and merciful. And where Israel lived in Goshen, it didn't hail. God promised to protect his people, and he does. Um, and I don't know if you noticed, but right towards the end, in verses 31, 32, there's a strange mention about the flax and the barley that was destroyed. The wheat and the smelt, however, were not destroyed. Even in this massive destruction of all the crops, God does not completely wipe out all the crops and all the, 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 the plants that people were, were supposed to live off uh, in future. Uh, God is patient and merciful. I don't know if you've noticed, but nowhere in here and nowhere in any of the other plagues does God promise or threaten to wipe out Egypt. Even in his wrath, which is entirely justified, he never does that. The only time in Exodus that happens is against Israel when they worship a golden calf. And instead of God. And then God relents to destroy his people when Moses intercedes. So this picture of a vengeful God in the Old Testament who wants to wipe out people left, right, and center that we sometimes hear and that sometimes people have an objection uh, against God about is really not the picture that we get here. So I guess then the question becomes, how do we react when we see this picture of God? Um, and how do people react in this passage? Uh, let's look at the text and see how people react when they hear what Moses says to Pharaoh on God's behalf. Well, we see two reactions, don't we? Uh, we know what Pharaoh does and most of his officials and the Egyptians. It says they ignored the word of the Lord. Now that's not just didn't realize what was happening um, or had too many other things going on so they, they couldn't quite get to reacting to what God said. They willfully ignored the word of the Lord. Despite everything they've seen, despite everything they've seen today, uh, so one reaction is that people ignore what God says and what he reveals. And Romans 1, 
tells us the same thing. It says God has revealed to everyone that he exists, his eternal power, his divine nature in the things that have been made. We worship those things uh, and we worship ourselves. So it's, it's hard to say if Pharaoh really repented here. Uh, people differ on that if you look at his reaction. Uh, he said, there's probably an element of that present, maybe. Maybe he had real remorse. But when he says, this time I have sinned, you want to grab him by the shoulders and yell, but what about all the other times, Pharaoh? I don't, I, I think what we see is that real remorse doesn't necessarily mean real repentance. It's easy to feel sorrow for our sin and especially for the consequences, but not really turn away from that in our hearts. It sounds a bit like politicians who apologize if they may have caused uh, hurt or confusion by something said. So God tells Pharaoh that he has raised him up, uh, literally in the Hebrew it's that he caused him to stand up. And ironically and sadly in verse 28, um, Moses, Pharaoh tells Moses and Aaron that they don't have to and the literal word there is stand before him any longer. He's playing God. He's not really turned from, from where he was before. Uh, God caused him to stand up, be raised up. He tells Moses and, and Aaron, you don't have to stand before me anymore. Uh, I am still a God in my own eyes. So in the plagues, God is showing us actually that he is the Lord over all of these things that he has made. He is the Lord over the earth, the land, the sky, the crops, the livestock, and the people. He is God over life and death. But there's, there's another reaction, isn't there? You notice in verse 20, it said, Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. God doesn't just bring the plague that will kill all the slaves and livestock and destroy all the crops. He warns Pharaoh and tells Pharaoh, warn your people. And some of Pharaoh's officials believe. They fear the word of the Lord. It's astonishing. And it's very easy to just glance over that line, like it's a nice detail or something interesting. Um, oh, this is strange. It's incredible. In God's grace, he changed their hearts. These Egyptians, these shields of Pharaoh, who had grown up in that culture, uh, grown up to worship Pharaoh, and God saved them out of his gracious love. Uh, he doesn't just give one or two opportunities for people to come to faith. He gives ten opportunities uh, with great signs uh, in the plagues. And that is what, what Israel also needed to see, not just Egypt. Um, they didn't really do much in this text we read, but remember for a very, very long time, they have been slaves in Egypt. They needed to see that God was sovereign too and able to save. Uh, they needed to see that they weren't able to contribute to their own salvation. It is all God 
um, they needed to see that he was patient and merciful, uh, a God who wants to save them. Um, he wants to save people who trust in him. He wants to save people to have a relationship restored with him. Uh, so when they saw these things and when they told these stories over and over again, um, they could remember our God is the sovereign God. He's the Lord over everyone. He's the Lord over the idols of the people uh, of the land that we are going to, to go into, this promised land. They needed to see that he is the God who wants to save and he is the God who can save. And that is, that is the only God worth worshipping. If God's only powerful but not merciful, that would be pretty miserable, wouldn't it? It would be a tyrant, a dictator uh, who oppresses people. And we know from our own experience in this world what that is like at a much smaller scale. But if God just wanted to save, but he couldn't save us, that would be a pretty useless God to worship. Be a bit like your fun uncle uh, who you love to bits, but is not the guy you're going to call when your house is on fire to help out. Uh, but God isn't like that. He's the God who can and wants to save. And he's the same today. Jesus showed that he is the God who can save. Um, he's the God who can save uh, when he calmed the storm or fed the 5,000 or raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Ultimately, he showed it on the cross when he died and rose from the dead himself. Not even death could stop him. Uh, the final enemy he has overcome. And he's the God who wants to save. Remember when his friend Lazarus died, Jesus wept himself. He cried. Uh, when the rich man came to Jesus and asked what he should do to go to heaven and he found it difficult to get rid of all his possessions, Jesus had compassion on him. Jesus is the God who can save and he's the God who wants to save. Now, it's, it's difficult though, isn't it? Uh, to remember this on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, when we see 85 people die in a terrorist attack in Nice, when millions of people flee the Middle East because of war and terrible suffering, um, when we lose our jobs, uh, when we lose loved ones, uh, when our fellow brothers and sisters are persecuted in many countries and violently killed for believing in God. At those points, it, it becomes much more difficult, I think, than for us here to know these things and, and believe these truths. Um, but just as Israel had to look back to what happened and look forward to God's promises, we can look back to these things that God has done and know that God does not change. Uh, the same God who is the, the, the sovereign, almighty God that he, that, he, that he 
reveals himself to be in these plagues is the God who is now in total and sovereign control of everything that we see. Uh, I mean, after the seventh plague here, and indeed after any of the first nine plagues, it didn't really look like things were happening. In fact, at the beginning, Pharaoh made the Israelites' workload even, even, even harder. They could easily have given up hope. Um, but they could look back to what God has done and what he's promised to do and know that he's faithful because they have seen the evidence of that. They wrote psalms about that to remind themselves. Some of them we've sung tonight. Um, so, to come back to the question at the beginning, what is the plagues about? Um, it is, in the first instance, about who God is. It reveals to us about God's character. Um, and when we see that and when we hear that, we have the same choice to make, really, as these officials of Pharaoh. If, if you don't trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you, um, if you have not turned to God and turned away from, from the idols in this world, well, then, then I want to plead with you, don't. Stop. Turn to the only God who is sovereign over all of these things. Um, don't worship created things and false idols. Turn to the God who wants to save and the God who can save. Uh, if you do believe in God, then um, look forward as well to when uh, Jesus promised that He will promises that He will return. Um, that he will punish those who don't believe in him. And in Revelation 16, we get this picture of some of, uh, some of, that, uh, some of that final punishment um, and judgment that will come on the earth. Uh, there's, a, there's 18. This is, there come flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. Later on, from the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. It sounds familiar. Um, these plagues point us forward to the judgment that is going to come. Now, if we know that, and we believe that God is able to save us, um, from our sin, then these plagues call us to do the same as Moses and Aaron and go time and time again to a world that doesn't want to hear this message but bring them this incredibly good news of salvation that is available. Uh, in 2 Peter uh, three, he writes, The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So let us go on telling people that God is patient and merciful and completely sovereign. But there's still time to repent, like some of Pharaoh's servants. Um, 
Pharaoh asked, who is this Yahweh that I should listen to him? Um, God promises a time when there will be, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Um, But let's continue working and praying that more people will do that and know who is the Lord long before that time. Let's pray.